Well, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be opening gifts. How many of you are looking forward to getting a gift? See, I asked the first service that, and almost nobody raised their hands. I said, do we need prayer about Grinches in your house or something? <laughs> How many of you are looking forward to giving a gift? Oh, well, there we go. We're a giving church. That just makes sense now. But when you give a gift, Christmas time, here's what does not happen. You open up a gift, and you go, oh, wow, thank you. I just can't believe this. And then you do not look at the giver and say, what do I owe you? Do you? I don't think there's anybody who would say, well, that thing was 53 bucks, and I'll take it anytime you're ready. No. Why? Because it's a gift. And so is Jesus Christ was a gift. Salvation is a gift. So when God gives us a gift, we don't pay him back. We receive the gift. And so I'm going to read just one verse. It's very, very short, so I want you to read it with me. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're not standing yet. This, is, this honors God's Word. And I want you just to read this with me. It's just a few words, but read it like it means something to you, because it, it should. All right? So here's the Apostle Paul, and he's overwhelmed. And he looks up and he says, read it, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Can we thank God for that? So today I want to talk to you about that indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the word of God. Lord, we just come thanking you for the, the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. The Lord, we can do nothing but receive. And as we receive it, Lord, and we allow it to be opened in our lives, oh, what a gift it is. What an unbelievable, inexpressible gift it is. And so, Lord, speak to us today. Help us to wrap our minds around better than we ever had before and our hearts. The indescribable gift that Jesus was and is. In your mighty name, we pray. Amen. I want you to turn to somebody and say, indescribable. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Good to see you in the 12 o'clock service. And um, now, there is one gift, and God gives lots of gifts. God gives all of us a gift when we're saved. He's a gift-giving God because he's a God of love. Because he loves, he gives. You know, you can give without loving. People do it all the time. You can give without loving. You can give for all kinds of motives. But you cannot love without giving. I challenge you to love somebody and, and refrain from giving to them. You can't do it because love causes us, moves us to give. So Paul says, when I think about the gift of God, it is for me indescribable. Indescribable means inexpressible, unspeakable, indefinable. I can't find the right words. Paul the apostle, you know, a, a genius in his mind, a wordsmith by trade, and yet he couldn't find the words to describe or explain the gift, the, the depth and the width and the breadth and the height of the immensity of the gift of Jesus Christ. He said, when I look for words, I can't find them. How many of you have ever like gone to a firework display 
And it's so amazing, so overwhelmingly incredible that you go, just no words. There are just no words. What was it like? Oh, it was just no words. You know what you just did? You just defined indefinable, indescribable, unspeakable. You couldn't find words to describe what you saw. Now, Paul said, when it comes to the gift of Jesus Christ, I can't find the words because he is, he, it is inexpressible. It's unspeakable what God did for us. And, and when I look at that word, and I meditated on that word this week, I, 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 I just began to think of what and how the gift actually was indescribable. Because if you break it down, there's several angles to that word and several sort of approaches or viewpoints that you can look at that word and all that the gift of God involved uh, regarding Jesus Christ, all that he did on our behalf. And I thought of at least three ways it's indescribable. And so I'm going to go over those three ways with you and just show you some of the ways it's indescribable that God's gift is indescribable. How many of you are thankful for the gift of Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen. How many of you can say, I've opened up a lot of gifts, but when I received the gift of Jesus Christ, what it brought into my life cannot be compared to anything that any gift has ever brought to me. Amen? So here's the, here's the ways I'm going to deal with first. It was indescribable love that sent the gift. And it was an indescribable sacrifice that was required to give us the gift. And it brought indescribable results. Amen. I'm looking at the results. I'm looking at you and, I'm, and you're looking at me. You know what? We're a result of the indescribable gift that God sent in the place of his son. Next week, I didn't know I was going to do this. In the second service, it came out and I witnessed to it. But here's next week, I'm going to speak on if Jesus had never come. What if Jesus had never come. Let me tell you, you don't want to live in the world where there was no Jesus. And I'm going to break it down. I'm going to go over that next week. But you see, it brought indescribable results that carry it down. Now we're in the 21st century after his death and resurrection. And look at what the gift of Jesus Christ has brought to our world. We will never, you could never, ever define it, explain it, enunciate what the gift of Jesus Christ has done to the entire world. But let me just break it down first and talk to you about how the indescribable gift flowed out of indescribable, unspeakable, indefinable love. Love. It says, God so loved the world that he couldn't help himself. He gave his only begotten son why? That whoever puts their faith in him would not perish in their sin, but have everlasting life. Uh, God so loved. Everybody say so. Now, John could have been real, you know, pragmatic and said, well, God loved the world, so he gave his son. But no, he put that so in there because he couldn't find words either. He just said, God so loved. Have you ever loved somebody so much? Because I love you so much. 
John said, God's love towards you and me was overwhelming, inexpressible, indefinable, indescribable, unspeakable, unexplainable, unfathomable. His love was so great, great, so profound, the breadth of it, width of it, height of it, depth of it. We will never plumb the depths of it. We will never fully understand it until the day that we see him. No wonder John wrote in 1 John, Behold what manner of love. I think it's 1 John 2, 1. Behold what manner. No, it's 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. Behold what manner of love. Behold what kind of love. Behold what kind of amazing love. We talk about amazing grace. What about amazing love? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he comes again, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called a son of God, a daughter of God, received into fellowship with him, received and adopted into the family of God. Behold what manner of love. In other words, think about that love. Ponder that love. Meditate on that love. Chew on it for a while. It's, it's more than we can ever wrap our minds around. But you know, we talk about love and we love love. We all want to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody's hungry for love, thirsty for love. Everybody wants to know they're loved by somebody, just somebody. Give me one person on the planet that truly loves me. We like to know that if we make a mistake, somebody is going to be there that still loves us. We want to know that if we even mess up our lives, somebody is going to love us enough to stick around and still love us. We're tired of people who say they love us, but they walk out as soon as things get tough. We find out that who we thought were our friends aren't our friends at all. Because when the going gets tough, that's when a lot of people bail and their love turns out to have not been real. But I'm talking about a Savior today who said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to walk away from you. We all want to be loved. We all love to be loved. We all need to be loved. We're all looking for love. We just came from New York City. We were gone, of course, you know, last week. I'm thankful that Pastor Sonny did a great job in our absence. But I want you to know New York City is a great place to visit, but I do not want to live there. It was a madhouse. It was hustle and bustle and rushing and, and racing. And, and we found out real quick it's the city of sirens and horns. If you're in downtown New York City, that's all you hear is sirens and horns. And you talk about rush hour traffic, how about sidewalk traffic? Forget highways, you can't even get anywhere on the sidewalk downtown New York City. It's all you can do to make it a block because it's so congested. And there I saw this mass of humanity. And I got to tell you, being a preacher, being a Christian, being a lover of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Wanting to see people saved, my heart was, was, was just rent. 
uh, because I saw all these people, so many of them clearly, you could tell, just life was wearing on them. And, 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 and you knew that a lot of them didn't have anybody in their life that loved them. How many times did we walk by somebody just leaning up against a wall in the freezing cold, smoking marijuana, blowing it out towards you, numbing their life away, drinking their life away, nowhere to go, people on subways we saw who pay enough money just to go around the whole city over and over again because they got nowhere to land. They've got nowhere to go. They have no place to call home. They sleep on that subway. They would sleep with you sitting there looking at them, heads drooping down, terrible clothes that hadn't been changed in weeks, hadn't showered in weeks, just waiting to die. Nobody to love them. See, we want to be loved. I wanted to tell them there is a God who loves you. See, if you just know that God loves you, there's where you find your purpose. There's where you find your answer. There's where you find your rock to stand on. There's where you find a reason to get up in the morning. Just knowing that God loves you. No wonder John also wrote, God is love. God loves because God is love. God can't help but love because God is love. He loves because he is love. He gave his only begotten son because he loves us. And the gift is a reflection of his love. He's a God of love. And I I wonder how many of these people going by had ever heard the gospel, had ever heard that Jesus loved them, had ever heard that their lives could be changed by looking to him in faith. I wondered that, and I wanted to go. I thought, how can we get to New York City? TV. That's one way to get there. And I said, God, let 2020 be a year of maximum impact. God has put a word in my heart for the new year. Maximum impact. Time is short. The days are evil. It's time to make the most of every opportunity. And I would love to be able to reach that mass of mankind, that mass of humanity in New York City with the simple God so loved the world. I want you all to know that God so loves you. He gave his only begotten son. That whoever puts their faith in him will never perish but will enjoy eternal life. But you know, we love to be loved, but it's in such short supply in this world. You want to be loved, but it's so hard to find. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Isn't that what the song said? Looking for love in all the wrong places. People go from relationship to relationship, habit to habit, thing to thing, hope to hope, hoping this time I can find love. Well, I hope this relationship will do it or that one will do it. Because I want to be loved and I want to love. And so even though we want it, it's in such short supply. But I can tell you it's abundantly on our minds. According to Amazon.com, there are at least 32,507 books now in print with the word love in the title. must be that these authors think that if you walk by in the bookstore, their book, and look at it, And you look at the title, because that's what you do. You're going to sell that book in two seconds when they look at the title. And they see love. Apparently, how many? 32,507 authors believe that if love is in that title, it's going to pull people. Because we want love. 
Over 440 or 145,000 books deal with the subject of love. Over 11,000 popular albums and CDs have love in their title. <laughs> if you were to do a Google search on the internet, you'd discover that at least 121 million, I didn't say 121,000, I said 121 million websites that use the word love as one of their keywords. Just go Google love. So it's undeniable how important love is to people all over the world. But I'm going to tell you, even though we talk about love and we want love and we look for love and we search for love and long for love, our culture is giving us a wrong message about love. See, if you want to know what real love is, let me tell you something. Look at Jesus Christ. No, no, no. I'm telling you, you'll never see love better manifested, better represented and presented than in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus Christ. If you think God is some mean, angry, furrow-browed, steam coming out of his ears, out to get you, catch you in something wrong so he can step on you kind of God, then you need to reread the Bible. Go to the red ink in the Bible. Read the New Testament. Read the Gospels. And look at Jesus. If you want to know how God is, look at Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to see the Father, look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I am the perfect representation and manifestation and presentation of the Father's heart. There is no other better explanation and description of God than me. And only God the Son can say that. But he said it. If you want to know how God loves you, look at Jesus. If you want to know how he loves children, look at Jesus. If you want to know how he loves the down and out, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God feels about people that are struggling and going down for the last time, the last count, look at Jesus. Accused of hanging around with sinners and wine bibbers. He was always with the down and out, the out of luck, the down on their luck. Those that had no more hope, no more answers, no more anything. Hanging by a string, Jesus went to them. He loved them. He paid attention to them. One was important enough to him to leave the crowds and go and find the one. Jesus loves, and, and he represents the love of God. He loves us so much that he told us the truth about ourselves. Because you see, love tells the truth. Now, we're being told in our culture that if you love somebody, you won't be truthful with them. That you'll overlook things that are hurting them. That you will never judge them. Our culture has a favorite Bible verse. You know what it is? Do not judge. They can't tell you who said it. They can't tell you where it is, but they quote it all the time. Judge not. Bible says judge not. Oh, does it really? Can you take me to the chapter and verse? No, I just heard that that's what it says. <laughs> judge not. Jesus said it, and Jesus was never telling us not to, not to judge things in our own lives and in people's lives. Jesus was telling us, don't judge hypocritically. If it's in you, don't judge it in somebody else. Make sure that the log is out of your own eye so you can remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's what he meant by judge not. But he never told us to be so stupid that we would not judge. Because if you don't judge, you're probably going to get in big time trouble. How are you ever going to know the wrong kind of person to run with if you don't judge? How are you ever going to know which direction to take in life if you don't judge? Even the sparrows in my backyard have more sense than a lot of Christians. Because when I feed them, they're in the feeder and they're always looking around. 
They're always looking around. They'll eat, get a little bit of seed in their mouth, and then they'll start looking around again. What are they looking for? The hawk. And when they see a hawk, they don't look at each other and say, you know, we really shouldn't judge him because the creator said don't judge. So if they sat there and all decided they're not going to judge all of them, at least one of them is about to be a hawk's lunch. Oh, no, they judge real quick. When they see the wing pattern and they hear the cry and they see that thing coming, they know what the enemy looks like and they are out of there so fast. But what do we do? Well, the Bible says I shouldn't judge. I'm not going to judge. I can't be mean and judge. Love, is, love it means you don't ever judge. That's crazy. Love is not deaf, dumb, and silent. And neither was Jesus because he loves us. God loves us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. How many of you are glad God told you the truth about your condition? Amen? You know the first word out of Jesus' mouth when he started preaching? The very first word he said was repent. Now let me ask you, when Jesus said these words, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Did he love the people he said that to? Did he? Of course he did. See, indescribable love, God's indescribable gift flowed out of indescribable love. And that indescribable love cares for us, takes care of us, protects us, watches over us, and tells us the truth about ourselves. Listen, I thank God he told me the truth about what he thought about my lifestyle before I got saved. Because if he hadn't told me the truth about how he saw my lifestyle, which was sinful, I would have never gotten saved. I needed somebody to tell me the truth. And he told me the truth and it let me know I needed a Savior. Come on, everybody. So his love not only protects and sacrifices and and, and watches over us, but it also corrects us. And, and, and that's one of the manifestations of love. God's indescribable gift flowed out of indescribable love. Secondly, the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ required an indescribable sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. We will never understand in our finite minds because we're so limited some people think they know everything. Oh, what a shock it's going to be when we get to heaven and realize we didn't know much at all. But listen, we can't comprehend in our finite minds what it took, the sacrifice for God to send his only son. I have two children. I can't think of a human on earth I would give one of them to die for. I love you, but I'm being honest. I can't imagine saying to my son or my daughter, go die for this person. No, but God so loved the world. He gave his own, he didn't send an angel. He didn't send a cherubim or a seraphim or the highest order of archangels. He didn't send any of that. No, he went to family. He sent his only son. He sent him to earth. He said goodbye. He watched him become a human being. He watched him be abused, mistreated, slandered, beat, and crucified. 
for you and for me. The Bible calls it the great condescension. When we hear the word condescension, we tend to think of somebody talking down to us. We've all experienced it, and it's terrible. I hate feeling like I'm being, and you do too, being talked down to by somebody who thinks they're better than you. you say, and you walk away going, they were very condescending. But that's not what it's talking about when theologians uh, describe the sacrifice of Jesus Christ coming to the world as the great condescension. They mean that Jesus didn't come with a superior attitude. No, Jesus said, I didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. He didn't come with a superior attitude. He came from a superior place. He came from a superior position. He condescended down. Step by incremental step. He condescended. Paul the apostle said, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. We're all about rights in America. I got my rights. I've got a right to this and a right to that. Well, your rights can't compare the rights that Jesus had to remain in heaven in the glory and the bliss and the magnificence he enjoyed. But he gave up his rights. He did not demand and cling to his rights as God, but he condescended. He stepped down. It says he laid aside his mighty power and his glory. He had glory unspeakable. He had magnificence unimaginable. He told the angels, do this, and they jumped. Do that, and he, they jumped. He was on a throne in a level of joy and bliss. We would never be able to wrap our minds around if you gave us a hundred years to do it. But he divested himself of the supreme glory and infinite power that were his in heaven. He let go. He let go. He let go. He let go. He condescended down. He even took the disguise of a slave. That blows my mind, but that's what it says. He took the disguise of a slave. As I said, quoting Jesus, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. God came to serve sinful human beings that didn't even know they needed him and didn't want him and didn't love him. He disguised who he was. Nobody knew who he was raising up or, or growing up in Joseph's household. He was just Joseph's son, a really good boy, a really good young man, a real catch. He never said, the only people that knew who he was was Mary and Joseph. And they probably, at least Joseph struggled with it a bit. No one else knew. He disguised himself. He stepped down. He left it all. And the amazing part is he went one step further down and humbled himself going all the way to the cross. And the men who he came to die for, who he created, he allowed to hammer his hands and feet to a tree, looking them in the eye. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. Think about it. 
I can't wrap my brain around it that God was watching them crucify him. Condescended. The great condescension. The indescribable sacrifice of God's indescribable gift. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm on holy ground. Because I'm going to tell you something. Those that hammer those nails in, John the Apostle in the book of Revelation says, they will look on him whom they pierced. When he returns, they will look on him whom... He will look on, they will look on him whom they pierced. They will look on him when he returns. And all the nations of the world will wail because of him. But finally, the indescribable gift produced indescribable results. And they are good. If this doesn't make you happy, you're not saved. Amen? First, for those who look to him in faith as their Savior, all sin is forgiven. What an indescribable result for an indescribable gift. All sin is forgiven. Are you ready? We are pardoned. Our transgressions are forgotten. Our iniquities are washed away in the crimson flow of his innocent blood. Everything is washed away. Listen to this verse. He, God, forgave all your sins. This is Colossians 2.13. He, God, forgave all your sins and blotted out the charges proved, proved against you. The list of his commandments which you had not obeyed. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. Oh man, come on everybody. This is really, really, really incredible news. Let me make it real for you. Let's say that you were going to court and you were going to court for murder. And you had also stolen. And you had also committed embezzlement. And you had, you had broken so many. You had all kinds of felonies against you. And you knew that you were going to go to prison for the rest of your days and die there. And when you go up in front of the judge, he says, you know what? I was going to throw the book at you, but I've got no more book to throw. Because before you got here, a very gracious man came and paid for all of your offenses. And, and he paid for you to have the entire list of charges ripped in half and thrown away. So, Sirach, all I can tell you is somebody really good stepped in the gap for you. And now I'm telling you, walk out the door. You are free to live your life. That's what God did. He ripped the charges in half. He threw the charges proven against us away and set us free. Can we give God praise for that today? Yeah. The Bible says you were once very far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and you are blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Isn't God good? Yeah, without a single fault. There's one last thing. The indescribable gift brought indescribable, <clears throat> unfathomable, 
unimaginable, incomprehensible, eternal life. Eternal life. Everybody say eternal. You know what that means? It's a long time. We can't wrap our minds around eternal because we live in a finite world where everything has a time attached to it. There's a time you were born. There's a time you will die. There's a time when your car was new. There's a time your car is not new any longer. There's a time when you were young and there's a time when you're old. We're, we, we live in a world of time, but there is another world, another dimension, another place where there is no time. And it's called eternity. And the indescribable gift gave to you and me indescribable eternal life. Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son, speaking of himself, has eternal life. You say, Jeff, I cannot wait to die and experience my eternal life. Can I tell you, you don't have to die to experience it because you already have it. The minute you got saved, you were given eternal life. Everyone in here has eternal life right now. Your eternal life has already begun. You are never going to die in your inner man. Your soul is going to go on. But thank God it's not going down. It's going up. And it's going into eternity where we will be with Jesus forever and ever. Life that never ends. Worshiping at his feet. Endless uninterrupted fellowship with the Savior of the world. Life with no fear of death. Life free of sickness and pain and sorrow and cancer and heart disease and headaches and everything that vexes us will be gone. Everybody say indescribable. I want you to stand with me, would you? No wonder Paul said, thanks be to God. For his, how can I explain it? Well, indescribable gift. Say with me, God's indescribable gift came from indescribable love, indescribable sacrifice, and brought indescribable results. Do you believe that? Are you thankful for that? Amen. Oh, I'm going to talk next week about if Jesus had never come. It's going to rattle your cage. It's going to make you think. Thank God, 21 centuries ago, in the dark of night behind a hotel where the animals were tied up and put up for the night, a couple walked out there, sat down. The woman went into labor. She brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and put him in a manger, which was a feeding trough for animals. And the cry of the baby Jesus split the night. And when that happened, the indescribable gift had arrived. I'm so thankful. Can we lift our hands and say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, God, 
that you cared enough for us, that you are love. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to rescue us from this hellhole of fallen men and demons and sickness and disease. You came into our darkness and felt our pain and were touched by our infirmities. You wept with us. You laughed with us. You walked with us. You talked with us. And then you died for us. And you rose again from the dead for us. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we just sing, God is so good. Let's lift it up to him right now. God. So good. Sing it, everybody. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good. Sing, He sent His Son. unspeakable, indefinable gift. Have you experienced God's pardon, His forgiveness, His mercy, His grace, His transforming power? Have you experienced Him? Now, you know, I've learned you can never assume that everybody in a service knows the Lord Jesus. You can never assume it, and I don't. I was in juvenile home as a 16-year-old when I heard this message. And I came to him, and I called out on him, and he came into my heart and changed my life. So I ask you, have you thought about it? Have you pondered it? Is the gift that God gave, have you opened it? Have you turned to him in faith and experienced the opening of that gift in your heart where he came to live inside of you? Have you opened that gift? Have you taken advantage of that gift? Have you received it? I'm going to give you a chance to do that as we close today. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you've drifted from God, can I, can I lovingly call you home? I'm not here to point a finger at you. I'm not judging you. Listen, I've made enough mistakes for 30 people. I'm not judging you. But I'm letting you know he loves you. And, and come home porch light is still on. The day of grace is still here. It's not too late for you to get right and get in, get in that highway of salvation. And if you've never said, Jesus, come into my heart, we're going to do it right now. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And let's open the gift. Let's open the gift. It'll be the greatest gift you've ever opened in your life. So say with me right now, let's just do it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Say with me, Lord Jesus. I believe you died for me. 
and rose from the dead so that I can be saved. Jesus, I repent for my sins against God, for breaking his commandments and doing wrong. Jesus, forgive me. And I invite you to come into my heart as my Savior and my Lord now. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. Now, keeping your heads bowed a moment, if you prayed that prayer with me, would you lift your hands up in the air quickly? Just lift them up if you prayed it with me. God bless you and you. And God bless you, several of you. And that's a beautiful thing. Because listen, the most important prayer you'll ever pray is that one. There's no more important prayer than that one. Because that is the beginning of a brand new life. So everybody who, if you raise your hand, look at me a minute. Just look up at me because I'm kind of looking your way. As soon as I dismiss the service, please come down and let me meet you. And I'm going to give you something to take home with you. And I want to pray with you once more. Would you do that? I promise. Listen, when I dismiss, don't go out that way. Your roast isn't going to burn. And you're not going to lose your place at the restaurant. God will give you a great table if you'll take care of first things first. So come down and let me meet you. Because I rejoice. Can we thank God for the people that pray? Amen. Amen. We've had many people today give their hearts to the Lord. And it's thrilling. You know, the devil's fighting people all the time. If you only knew what we hear down here just in this altar every Sunday. Do you know what I tell my staff? And I I close with this. I tell my staff pretty often, every service we have is life and death. Because people are in here and you never know if they're ever going to be here again. You never know if that week they may lose their life. I've had it happen so many times, I can't tell you. Very many times I've had people be in a service and that week go home. You never know when your last chance is. So I've learned never assume everybody's right with God. It's life and death. We see people delivered literally from death into life on Sundays and we hear what was going on in their life. And man, the devil was out to kill them. And then they got saved and delivered. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, let me give you a couple of quick announcements. Tonight we're doing what's called a commissioning. And it's the biggest commissioning we've ever done. Uh, As a matter of fact, we have 41 people being commissioned. You say, commissioned for what? Okay. We have what's called... um, kingdom men and kingdom women and they go through a whole year of training in our church they read a bunch of great books that are assigned to them they go through the scriptures like never before in their life they have to discipline themselves to get through this year-long training and preparation and so when they graduate it's a big deal and we call it commissioning and we've never had one this big it's it, for the first time, we're commissioning women and teenagers, right? Three teenagers. Yeah. 
And I'm going to brag on the women. 25 women are being commissioned. 25 women. So, guys, don't ever let the women beat you. you got to get in there and go through kingdom men. Amen? But tonight at 6 o'clock, we're doing that. It's going to be tremendous. And I want to congratulate them ahead of time for all their hard work. This Wednesday, I'll be here teaching. Everybody say this Wednesday. Did he say this Wednesday? He said this Wednesday. I thought he said next Wednesday. No, he said this Wednesday. Because next Wednesday, after this Wednesday, nobody's going to be here. Because we're going to be here Tuesday. Did I say this Tuesday? No, I said next Tuesday. We have to be real clear because I guarantee you there will be people here Tuesday night. I heard him say candlelight service Tuesday night. No, no. This Tuesday is going to be Celebrate Recovery. That's it. Wednesday I'll be here to teach. The next week we do our very popular candlelight service. Last year there wasn't room. It was packed. It was wonderful. And I want to invite all of you to come for Christmas Eve. Not this Tuesday. You know when Christmas Eve is. And then we'll skip Wednesday. But this Wednesday I'm going to be teaching. What am I teaching on? I'm not going to tell you. I've already got a lot of it prepared, but you're going to have to come and find out. All right? But it'll be good. So we'll be here with with bells on our toes this Wednesday night. Oh, and my wife was up till 2 in the morning cooking incredible, um, sweet, calorie-infested Christmas goodies. And not only her, but many of the women in the church, and they're for sale out in the foyer. And I'm going to tell you, I had two samples. I, I was uh, close to the spout where the glory comes out, and I, and I was able to get two samples. And it is particularly mouth-watering good. Oh my, bring it on up here, Lisa. I'll give you an example. This is one example. It's a pecan pie with a little red ribbon on it. But I mean, there are little chocolate goodies that you can't eat just one. They're all out there. Grab them because everything you buy is going to go to helping the women's ministry. All right? Thank you. This was... This was paid by my honey. Oh, she made this. Yes, Cindy made this. Pecan pie. So there you go. All right, but there's a lot of good stuff. Hey, bless your spouse, bless your kids, grab something good, all right? Are you glad you came to church today? Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Amen.